this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Started last week a new series called Comfort and Joy, and this is an Advent series. And some of you might be like, Pastor Alex, uh, I know that you talked about Advent last week, um, but can you remind me what exactly does Advent mean? That's a word that we don't use often. It's not in our everyday language. Uh, it tends to be a, a word that you hear in church at Christmas time. So I just want to make it easy for you. Advent at its most basic level means arrival. And so what we're talking about during this season is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. And so this season that began last Sunday is on the liturgical calendar. It's a part of the church calendar. And the church calendar was structured in such a way that people who followed Jesus would be reminded about who he is and the mystery that surrounds him. And some of you are like, is it really that mysterious? Yeah, the idea that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to be born of a virgin named Mary in the town of Bethlehem is full of lots of mystery. How exactly does a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, he's God, take on the form of man? How does he become a baby? And when he's born, what does he know and what does he not know? These are the theological questions that we wonder. If he's fully God and he came out of the womb, did he cry? Or did he just look up and say, Mother, I'm a little cold. Wrap me in some swaddling clothes. Did he ever, you know, like, what did he know? What did he not know? And we believe there's this, this tension, and, and theologically we call it that he's 100% God in that moment, but he's also 100% man. And, and you're like, but that's 200%. And then I have to say, I don't know. It's a mystery. He's God. Like, he didn't cease being God, but he didn't cease and just live some weird version of humanity. He was fully human and fully God at the same time. And so in this season of Advent, what we're doing, is twofold, all right, twofold. So number one, what we're doing is remembering. We're remembering the story of God becoming man, which is what we call the incarnation, right? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we are remembering the story, we're remembering the journey that Joseph and Mary went on, remember the angel Gabriel coming and speaking to them. We are remembering his first advent, his arrival, but it's twofold for us. Not only are we remembering the first arrival, but we are also anticipating a second advent. See, he's coming back. There's going to be a second coming. And inside of this time of advent, just as we remember as there was this longing and waiting for Jesus to first arrive, there's still a longing and waiting in us for him to arrive a second time. And so I gave you this graphic last week. I thought it was fun. I put a stick figure on it. I'll show it to you here. Um, this is where we're at. There's creation, and then there was a long period of waiting after sin had entered the world for Jesus to come, and that's the first advent, and we find ourselves, there's a large stick figure, right before this time of a second coming, and so we're living in this in-between time. We're living in this tension. Jesus has come. The kingdom is available to us. We can become followers of Jesus, but it's yet not done. Like, Already, but, but not yet. It's not completely established and fulfilled in all of its glory. And so last week we talked about how exactly we're to live in this time. Um, how many of you grew up playing board games? Do we have any board game fans in here? All right, there's quite a few of you. Um, uh, 
When I think about board games, uh, the one that I remember playing the earliest was a game most of you probably never heard of. It was called Easy Money. I'm pretty sure it was a knockoff version of Monopoly. Uh, but apparently, we didn't have enough money, so we had easy money. <laughs> I don't know the whole story, but that's the game. I have a sister 10 years older than me, and so I love playing. It had all your little dollar bills, and you had to work your way around the board. And so that was the first game I played. But we never owned Monopoly, and so when I would go to my best friend's house, his family loved Monopoly. And I think the reason my parents never bought it is they're like, that game takes forever. We're not playing it. We're not going to do it. So I would go to his house and I was like, this is my chance. I'm going to play Monopoly. But I didn't realize that there's different skill levels to Monopoly and how you play. And so um, I would sit down. It was him, his parents, and his sister, and me. And uh, I was always the first one out. And, and I'd be spending the night. And so they kept playing in the kitchen and I had nothing to do. So next thing you know, like I'm on his Sega Genesis, which tells you how old I am, or his PlayStation 1. And it, literally, his family didn't care. I'm just wandering around their house playing with things while they're like getting after it in Monopoly in the other room. But board games are fun. Uh, you remember Life, the game of life? Anybody remember that one? Had that cool little dial thing that you could spin on there. Uh, you got the strategy ones, Risk. Anybody remember Risk? That was kind of fun. Um, what was the other one? Uh, Strate Strategio? Stratego? I don't even know how you say it, but that was kind of fun. Uh, we have all these games, but the one board game I played more than any other board game. Anyone want to take a guess at what it is? No, I hate Sorry. What a horrible game. It makes me so mad. Shooting ladders? No, no. I, uh. Not Candyland? Scrabble. That's right. And some of you are like, oh, boo, boo on Scrabble. Word games? Come on. Nope. Scrabble's what it was. So my mom always liked playing Scrabble. My grandmother, who's 104, she could probably still beat me in Scrabble. She loves Scrabble. And so we love to play Scrabble. I don't know why. It's just, you know, when you're raised in that, it's normal. When you're not raised in it, you're like, that is abnormal. That is not the game. But we play. We had the, we had the Scrabble dictionaries, you know, to where you could figure out words that aren't really words, but they work in the game you know, because you got that Q, but you don't have the U, and then you find out, oh, Q-I is a word. Oh, here we go. Let's go. I'm going to be a better Scrabble player. So, so we played Scrabble all the time. Now, the problem was, was that my mom introduced me to Scrabble when I was too young, and so I had these issues where there's too many options on the board. Like, I wanted to get to the triple word if I could, but there's a double word available, but then there's the double letter with the triple word if I could get that. And so, just the abundance of options, and then these seven tiles looking at me and how I could arrange them, um, I took forever to take my turn. And so, my mom, not saying she was impatient, but she wanted to move along with the game, that she eventually bought an hourglass. And when it came time for Scrabble, and it was my turn, it was a fancy hourglass. It wasn't just like one that you just turn over. It had a base on it, and you would do it, and it would flip over. And I knew I was on the clock. <laughs> time has begun. And my mom also knew my turn's coming up as soon as that thing's done, because she would make me play. And if you didn't play, you're going to lose your turn. My mom, she don't play no games. <laughs> She's going to get the best out of you. And as I think back on like board games, and, and we have lots of games that have hourglasses in them, that hourglass taught me some things. It, number one, it taught me that time is ticking. It's going, whether I want it to or not. I can't hit pause in life and just hang out here. No, no, time 
is moving, and I need to live with some urgency. I can't just continue to process and think and rethink and procrastinate, but no, I need to live with some urgency. I need to move. That There's actually people who are waiting for me to do what I'm supposed to do. There's other people who can't do what they're supposed to until I've done what I'm supposed to. The hourglass taught me I don't have unlimited time and I need to use it wisely. And and what's interesting as I think back on that hourglass is that my mom never used the hourglass. The hourglass was not used on mom. I don't know what's going on. It was just an Alex thing that I got the hourglass. But here was the thing. My mom was not slow in fulfilling her responsibilities in the game. My mom did not delay in doing what she was supposed to do. And I think that much in the same way that the Bible teaches us that God is not slow in fulfilling his responsibilities. That God is not slow in fulfilling what he's supposed to do. But it's helpful for us to have the reminder of an hourglass that we need to live with some urgency, that time is ticking, and that we do need to do what we're called to do. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. I think about my mother in that instance. She's patient. God is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but this is the kind of God we serve. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that good? We read later uh, in a different letter that Paul had written to uh, the Ephesians, He says this in Ephesians 5.15, he says, be very careful then how you live. That's a a hard thing. I got to be careful how I live, how I spend my time. Every day I have time given to me and I'm exchanging it for things. I'm exchanging time for for my job. I'm giving them eight hours and in exchange I get money back. I'm, I'm taking time and I'm investing it into my family. I'm taking time and I'm investing it into my friends. I'm taking time, I'm investing it into to my relationship with God. Every day I'm making an investment of time and we have to pay attention to the return on our investment. There are some uh, investments that aren't worth our investment. There's nothing coming back. We need to pay attention. And so Ephesians, Paul says, hey, be very careful. Not just, hey, be careful. No, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Here's what we want to do, making the most of every opportunity, because let's not forget that the days are evil. So when it comes to Advent, twofold, we're to remember Jesus' first arrival, but we're also to look forward with anticipation to his second coming. And we're reminded in that moment of where we stand on the timeline of history, that we are in between these two huge events. And the hourglass is on us, that there are actually people waiting for you to do what you're supposed to do in your life. There are people who are unable to do the next right thing until you do what you're called to do. See, I believe that every one of us has a purpose. Every one of us has meaning that God didn't create us without purpose. No, we have purpose, but there's also not just specific purpose to each individual, but there's general purpose for all of us who follow Jesus. And all of us, whether you realize this or not, this is our shared collective purpose. It is to engage with those who are disengaged from God. This is what we're all called to do. If we are just sitting at home like a monk, 
and not connecting with people, and I'm just praying, and I'm just listening to K-Love, and I'm just reading my Bible, and I'm not letting anything else come in my life, while that may seem to be spiritual, while that may seem to be honorable, it is not what God has called us to do. He has called us to engage with those who are disengaged from God. And while there may be good seasons of retreat and seasons of study, their purpose for those seasons is to send us out because we are all sent. But how exactly do we engage with people who are disengaged from God? How do we do that? Because it feels like, oh, I got to start talking to people about Jesus. I got to start arguing. I got to be a debater. Oh, no. Like, no, no, I don't think that we have to do that. I think what we need to do if we're going to engage with those who are disengaged from God, is we need to talk about Jesus. That's it. Who do we talk about? Jesus. Well, let's talk about the Old Testament. Let's not talk about that right now. Let's talk about Jesus. Well, let's talk about the end times. Let's talk about that second coming. How about we talk about Jesus? The place to start engagement with people who are disengaged from God is talking about Jesus. Now, I shared last week that in more liturgical churches, um, what would often happen during Advent is that they would have candles that they would have in their service, and it would be a part of their worship service that they would light these. And I talked about the candles, and the Missy, my wife, was like, how did you not bring candles to illustrate this? And I was like, okay, good point, woman. I will bring candles this week. So we have four candles, um, with the center candle being the Christ candle. And so each week during a liturgical service, I think I have fire here somewhere. Oh, fire. Here we go. What we have done last week is that we would have lit the first candle when we gathered together. And this candle would have remained lit during our entire time of worship. And that first candle, does anybody remember what it represents? It is the candle of hope. That as we prepare for the arrival of Jesus, when Jesus shows up, you know what he brings? He brings hope. Before Jesus arrived, there is not a whole lot of hope. He brought a hope that, that is an anchor for our souls, as Hebrews says. And so we talked about hope last week, and as we would gather for the second week of Advent, which would be today, everybody, this would be the candle of peace. And then, of course, next week we have the, actually, joy. Joy candle, the love candle, and then when Christmas would arrive, when Jesus would arrive, we would light the Christ candle, which represents the light of the world is here with us. And so we will go ahead and allow this to remain for today, as I want us to focus on the fact that Jesus is hope, Jesus is peace, Jesus is joy, he's love, and this is the message that we should share with the world. If you are interested in going deeper in an Advent study, I told you about this last week and I know a lot of you signed up, we have an Advent devotional that's available every morning. It will send you uh, just a devotional to your email and if you want to sign up for that, you can just go to newlifekc.com slash advent. Um, you'll put your name, your phone, and email in there and then we'll just send that to you every morning to help you in this season to not forget how important Jesus is, to not forget the hope that he brings, to not forget the peace the joy, and the love that come from him. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to talk about this idea of peace. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which is a prophetic verse. This was spoken 700 years before the birth of Christ. And in this 
verse, Jesus is prophetically called four specific names. And what I want us to do is I want us to focus on the fourth and last one. Here's our verse. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I want us to focus on the fact that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the Captain of Rest. He is the Lord of Tranquility. He is the Chief of Contentment. He is the Prince of Peace. Last week, we shared about how Jesus is our shepherd and that there is hope for our future when we are connected to the flock, that we are a part of his care and his watchful eye. And as long as we live with Jesus as our shepherd, as I shared about last week, we will experience peace. When I am under the care of the shepherd, it's not on me. He is in charge. He is in control. I have to simply rest in his care. When he tells me to move, I just move where he says, and there's peace here. When I refuse to move, there's not peace in the refusal to move. It's as we walk with God that we will receive peace with God. And I think that some people get this confused. They think that they can pray and ask for peace from God, like it's a, a gift, a peace offering, that God will give us peace. But there is no peace from God without having peace with God. That makes sense? We're changing prepositions, and I need to not lose you. We cannot receive peace from God. That's not how it works. There's only peace with God. I cannot continue to do whatever I want to do and expect the peace of God to remain with me. I only receive peace when I am with him. Can a guy get his girlfriend pregnant and then go to church and have peace? No, in case you didn't know the answer. Because he's doing something outside of the leadership of what the shepherd would want. Can a couple get in a big hairy fight and go ballistic and call each other names and embarrass their kids and then all of a sudden expect to have the peace of God? Well, of course not because they're outside of what the Prince of Peace is calling them to. Can a person charge up all their credit cards and spend more money than they make and then just expect to have peace when that bill arrives? No. There's one millennial in here who's saying yes, no, no, no. We will pray for you, my friend. <laughs> we cannot do whatever we want and expect to still have peace. There is no peace from God without peace with God. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace, which means he is in charge of the peace. He is the one who manages the peace. And just as Jesus can give you inward peace that goes beyond human understanding... Jesus, the Prince of Peace, can also take that same peace away. We don't like to think about this part of it. But he is the Prince of Peace. He controls the peace. There's an old song that we used to sing. I guess it's not that old. Some of you are like, old's the 70s. Some of you are like, old's the 40s. Uh, for me, old is the early 2000s. <laughs> and, uh, and there was a song, a, a worship song. Uh, it was called, uh, Blessed Be Your Name. And in the, the bridge of it, it says, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away, but blessed be his name. 
when it comes to the Prince of Peace, yeah, he gives peace, but he sometimes, when it's in your best interest, will take that peace away. You say, well, what kind of God is that? I thought that he was like all loving. I thought that he was just generous. I thought he was like Santa Claus. Well, he's not. He loves you more than Santa ever could. He's not interested in just giving you what you want. He's interested in giving you what you need. And when you want something that's not good for you, guess what? He will withhold that from you because he cares more about the status of your soul than he is fulfilling the desires of your soul. He's actually interested in changing what your soul wants and craves. See, as the Prince of Peace, he knows better than we do. And sometimes he will remove his peace in order to get our attention. He may remove his peace when you've left him, you've separated yourself from the flock, and he may remove that peace so that you realize that where you're at is not a good place. He will try to draw you back to him. And so when I'm lacking peace in my life, those are the seasons that I find that I'm sad. The seasons that I find that I don't have peace are the seasons that I can easily begin to feel depressed. I can feel let down. I, I, can, feel, I can feel hurt. And when I experience sadness and depression and disappointment and hurt, do you know what I long for? I long for the same thing that children do when they get physically hurt. I long for comfort. I have a two-year-old, and he is um, creating lots of sermon illustrations. I uh, try to, to just record them. I will share them when he's older. Um, but I have, I have three boys, and uh, in our basement, we kind of have a play area. And so sometimes when mom's making dinner, they are told to go and play in the basement. Now, it's a safe space, but they are still boys, and uh, testosterone is present, and every now and then, you hear, of course, the youngest one cry, and the older two are dead silent. <laughs> you don't know what happened to them, but you hear this crying, and it's getting louder because the two-year-old is walking up the stairs crying because he's hurt, and what does he want? He wants comfort. He's looking for mom and dad, and you know what? Most of the time when he gets to me, there's nothing I can do to alleviate his pain. I mean, he slapped his head against whatever, and there's a goose egg on it, and I can't, you know, do anything. Like, I'm not Peyton Manning. We're not going to rub dirt on it, right? <laughs> I'm going to provide comfort for the little guy. And so what does he want? Like, all he wants, he comes, got his tears running down his face, is he just wants to be held, and when we hold our children, what do we do with them? Sometimes we whisper to them. We tell them some truths. It's going to be all right, buddy. I know it hurts. I know it hurts. But you're okay. And you know what he feels when he's in the arms of his dad? Comfort. Security. Peace. See, the Prince of Peace is the one who comforts you, and the result of comfort is peace. And when we don't have peace, God will sometimes allow us to desire to be comforted so that he can come and he can wrap his arms around you. And whatever you're going through, whatever your situation, whatever's keeping you up at night, whatever your prayers are surrounding, he can just whisper in your ear, I love you. 
It's going to be all right. Dad's here. We don't have to worry. And what's our response to be? Ah, thanks, good. I got my hug. I'm out. No, I want to be with him. I want that love and comfort. Not just when times are tough. That's the wake-up call. But what if I could live in the presence of my father? There's a joy that can come, which that's another message. That's the scandal. But the peace, the peace is what God wants. This peace that we receive from God is hard to talk about because the Bible even says that it's a peace that surpasses understanding. Like my intellect can't quite figure it out. And as a result, I can't articulate it. I can't put it into words. It's beyond what I even understand. And in the Bible, we read time and time again where where God actually did this. He has people that he desires to be in relationship with him, but these people oftentimes, he's like, you're going to be my people. Like, you can be like, I'll be your shepherd. It's going to be really good. We're going to have this relationship. And they're like, yeah, I don't think so. And they go somewhere else. And so what God does is he does what he does with us, is he kind of withdraws some peace from them, and he allows life events to happen to them to hopefully cause them to turn and return for comfort and peace with him. And so we see this primarily with the people of Israel. These were his chosen people. It's the descendants of Abraham, if you're familiar with the Jewish history. Um, and so they had a promise. They were going to be God's people. And so there were seasons of time in which they followed him, and it was good. But those seasons were normally short because they were selfish, and they wanted to do what they wanted to do. And eventually, God had done all sorts of things to reach his people. He'd sent prophets to say, hey, go tell them what they're doing is not good. And they didn't listen. He sent different opportunities for them to turn. They didn't turn. So eventually, he allowed a people group called the Babylonians to come and to conquer this land. And he allowed his people to be taken captive. He knew if this captivity took place, what is this people going to experience? They're going to experience sadness. They're going to be let down. They're going to experience pain. They're going to experience hurt. But he was allowing that to happen so that they would turn for his comfort. Because the best thing for them was not to continue in the path that they were on, but to be brought into a new path. We have to recognize God's way is always better than our way. And so what he did with this group of people is he allowed this to occur. And so he spoke through the prophet Isaiah. We've been talking quite a bit about him in Isaiah chapter 39. And and it, what it revealed is that like, hey, listen, hard times are coming, y'all. You ain't been following Jesus. I want you to know that the reason you have all the pain and hurt is because you're not experiencing the peace of God. You're not finding comfort from him. He is the Prince of Peace. I told you that in chapter nine, but apparently you don't want that. So guess what? There's gonna be some things that happen, but when it happens, remember God still loves you. He's not mad at you. He wants you to return. And so the very next chapter we find Isaiah chapter 40. And, and, and these are the words that the prophet Isaiah said to God's people who had wandered away from him and were hurting. And, and check this out. It starts with this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, 
It's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. And then when that's done, when we've prepared for the arrival of the Lord, when we've prepared for this advent, when we've prepared for the Savior to come, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Sometimes we can miss the weight of these words and what it would have meant for the Jewish people because we're kind of disconnected from their context. But these are words of salvation, that God is coming and he's going to save them from where they're at. And that is an excitement for them. Jesus is coming. That's the message we receive. Jesus is coming. Things will not last forever. Sadness, depression, disappointment, pain, they are not eternal. When the Savior arrives, he will meet the broken right where they are. And just as earthly parents do, he will comfort his children. And the result of his comfort is peace. So two big ideas I want to leave with you as we begin to wrap this up. Number one, it is the Prince of Peace who comforts you. You can try to find comfort in all sorts of other things, but it normally disappoints. Oh, if I just drink this, I feel so much more at peace. Well, how's that addiction going? Alcohol tends to be progressive. We have to be careful. It's the Prince of Peace that we want to comfort us, not our self-medication. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. This is what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives it. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, what are we to do? Present your requests to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Number one, it's the Prince of Peace who comforts you. And number two, it's the Prince of Peace who saves you. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And I love this line, and we'll talk about it in a second. For Christ himself is our peace. It's not something that he gives. It's himself. He gives himself to us. And the verse that we started with today, Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting God, Prince of Peace. Friends, when we allow the Prince of Peace to comfort us, we will feel and experience peace. And his peace removes my anxiety. His peace calms my mind when I'm disturbed by life. His peace surpasses my intellect and my ability to even speak of it. And so my question for you today is this. Are you at peace with God through Jesus Christ? Are you at peace with God? I think uh, we don't have to talk very long for us to all understand that we've all messed up. We're all guilty of doing things wrong. We've all sinned. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short 
of God's standards. So if we've all sinned, have we done anything to make peace with God? Do we just act better? Do we just put some money in the, where they're jingling the bells? Does that do it? Does that help pay God off? A little Salvation Army donation? What, what do we do? How do we, do I just get nicer? How do we make peace with God? Well, to make peace with God, we have to recognize that we are sinners, and there's only one way for that sin to be removed, which is through him to forgive us of it. We have to ask him to forgive us and make us clean and say, God, I've sinned against you. I never want to do this again. Would you forgive me? That is the starting point to peace with God. Peace is available to us if we humble ourselves and request his forgiveness. Peace is available if we allow him to be our shepherd. I was talking with a friend who... um, who, who, who is in the Christian faith, um, but his beliefs are a little bit unusual. And for him, there's not necessarily, he doesn't believe that he has to change how he lives in order to have peace with God. He believes all that he needs to do is on an annual basis go and have a time of confession. And if he has this time of confession, then he can live however he wants, that there's forgiveness available. And he's like, man, I really value, I, it's really important to me that we have forgiveness from God. But I said, I think it's really important that we have repentance. And he was like, well, you know, that's kind of a deep theological thing. I was like, well, <laughs> I don't, I said, I don't know if there is forgiveness without repentance. If, if I stole your car and uh, felt bad about it and said, hey, would you forgive me, Kitty, for stealing your car? Kitty would probably say, no, not until you give me my car back. Well, no, I'm going to keep driving it. I just want you to forgive me. That doesn't make any sense. We do the exact same thing with God. God, forgive me for doing this. But he's like, but you're still doing it. You're continuing to do it. You know what he says to us? This is in Hebrews. I'm not going to forgive you for that. Forgiveness is not just something I give out without repentance. Oh, that changes everything. It certainly does. And what we need is peace with God. And peace with God, it's not, again, it's not this gift. It's when we walk with him. And when we walk with him, he changes how we think. We have a transformed life by the renewing of our mind. And I begin to live a different life, a life that doesn't have regrets, a life that I'm not mad about, a life that I didn't like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. No, I'm moving in the direction God wants. There's not regret as you do God's will. You always, every time you do what God wants, you know what you say? That might have been hard, but that was totally worth it. That was hard, but it was totally worth it. We have to trust him. We're not just getting forgiveness. We're not just asking for things. Like he's Santa Claus. Give me peace. Give me forgiveness. No, no, no. He's like, hey, I'll do that, but I care about your soul and you continuing down this path isn't good. I want you to be a new person. We have to realize outside of Jesus, there is no peace, but inside of him, we have all the peace that we would ever need that surpasses all of our understanding. Now, so here's the deal. In a moment, we're going to wrap this service up. And if you haven't been in church in a while, this is kind of how it works. There's going to be what we call like an appeal or a response. It's where I want the people to be able to um, communicate that they've heard 
a message for them. And so here's the question, just a heads up so you can start to process and not be surprised when I ask this. Do you need peace with God? If you're here and you're like, you know what? I don't have peace with God, but I want peace with God. In a moment, I'm gonna say, hey, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? You know why it's good to do that? Because it's not just in your head. I'm actually, yeah, that's me. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I'm not gonna be like, you with your hand raised, stand up here. We're all gonna pray for you. No, I can do that. It's more of a sign for you to say, yeah, that's me. And I think it's also an indication to God, I'm taking this thing seriously. And God, I want peace with you. So in a moment, I'm gonna ask if you need peace with God that you would raise your hand, okay? Hold that thought. There's some of you that you're like, yep, I'll raise my hand later because I got peace with God. Thank you. This message ain't for me. No worries. I'm one of those pastors. I got something for you too. (laughs) If you have the peace of God, then you are called to be an advocate of peace in a broken, sad, depressed, let down, hurt world. And there are Christians, I believe, in this room today who need to be more like the angels who appeared to the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus. If you remember, this is Luke chapter 2. This is the season we talk about this verse. Uh, Not that one. Uh, That one. Do not be afraid. This is what the angel said. Do not be afraid. I bring you what? Oh, this is good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, boom, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. Now that's a sight to behold. I don't know what that was like, but that would be incredible. And what were they doing? They were praising God, saying, when pay attention to what they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, that's where we live, peace to men, to mankind, to humanity, on whom his favor rests. You have people in your life, and you know that they are broken. You know they are sad. You know they've been let down, depressed, hurt. But have you told them that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Have you shared in your own words that they can have peace with God and with others? Remember, our shared assignment is to engage those who are disengaged from God. So for those of you who are like, I got that peace of God, but you know what? I really haven't been an advocate of peace. I really haven't been telling anybody about him. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you, if you say, yes, I need to engage with others and share the peace of God with others in my life more than I have been, that's me, pastor. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, all right? Two calls. If you need peace, raise your hand. If you say, I need to share that peace with other people, I want you to raise your hand. So, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Would you bow your heads with me? If you are here and you are in need of the peace of God in your own life, would you just simply raise your hand? God sees your hands. Let me pray for those of you who've rose your hand. God, you know every person, you know every struggle, You know everything about these individuals that you so love. 
And God, as they have indicated with a raised hand that they want your peace, God, I ask that you would meet them in their hurt, in their brokenness. And just as a parent would wrap them, their child in their arms, Lord, would you wrap them in such a way that they would experience comfort, that they would experience peace. And I pray, Lord, that that comfort and that peace, Lord, it would transform them, that they would choose to live a new way. They would lean into who you are and the pathway that you have, and that they would trust you to shepherd them, to guide them, to lead them, and to restore to their soul all that they need. For those of you who need that peace, would you just simply, in the quietness of your heart, say, God, forgive me for doing things on my own. Forgive me for not looking to you. God, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I want your loving arms to surround me. I want to trust you with my tomorrow and the day after that and my future. God, I give you my life. If that's your prayer, I believe that God hears you and that he will meet you right where you're at. And as we continue to pray, there are others of you who need to share the peace of God with others in your life. You know that you should, but maybe you haven't been. But you say, you know what? I would like for God to help me to share that good news, to share that peace. If you say, that's me, I need to share the peace of God with others, would you raise your hand? My hand's raised on this as well. God, thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we recognize that there are some who are waiting for us to do our part so that they can do theirs. Lord, as we have an hourglass on this life, Lord, may we begin to live with some urgency and may we not be afraid. May we not live in fear, but may we have confidence and boldness to be able to connect and share the good news that you have with our friends, family, and loved ones. Lord, I pray that this Christmas season, you would use every person whose hand was raised to be able to deposit a seed in someone's life, to say a word, to give an invitation, to be used by you to draw people into a right relationship. God, we look to you this Christmas season to be our Prince of Peace. And Lord, I ask that as a congregation, as a church, as a group of people, Lord, that that we would enter into a new year with a different frame of mind. May we not think that it's all on us, but we recognize that, God, you are with us and you are guiding us. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.